Hey, welcome to my office. So glad you're joining us, whether you're in the online live stream, uh, participate in the chat, I encourage you. Or if you're in the ministry center right now, there will be time for discussion there. Even though I'm not personally there right now, I'm on vacation. And I, who knows, since I'm in my office at home right now, um, maybe there will be a surprise discussion that happens if somebody barges into the room. I know uh, my dog can literally open this door. It happens sometimes when I'm in meetings. It just doesn't latch well. Um, so we can hope for that kind of a um, strange interruption. And um, maybe that'll keep you engaged in what's happening here. <laughs> no, we're so glad that you're here. We're continuing our series about Set Free, where we're getting inspiration from the church in Antioch. And the section of scripture that we're looking at today, Acts chapter 15, uh, there's a, a commentator who I read who uh, called this the charter of freedom for the Gentiles. Gentiles are non-Jewish people. The charter of freedom for Gentiles. We're going to look into a conflict that if it hadn't been addressed and hadn't uh, had parties who are willing to come together and trust the Holy Spirit, then maybe it would have been the end of the church, even as it was just beginning. So it's going to be a, a great text for us to look at. Before I even get to that, though, I want to remind you that Backyard Missions is coming up soon, July 26th through 29th. So if you haven't registered, go to newdaywi.com, fill out the registration form for Backyard Missions, Wednesday, July 26th through Saturday, July 29th. And if you can only be there for a portion of that, great. Any portion of that uh, that you can be there for, we just love to have you join with other disciples of Jesus in showing practical love to our neighbors. And uh, even if you're not able to volunteer at this time, uh, you can bring in bottles of water, sports drinks on uh, uh, upcoming Sundays, only up to the 23rd. I guess that's like next Sunday. So if you haven't done that yet and you intend to, you got to do it next Sunday. You can also purchase one of our Backyard Missions t-shirts that simply says the church has left the building. It's a great conversation starter. And our recommended donation for that is $15. And that money then goes into the fund for uh, Backyard Missions to continue. So uh, you can do any of those things at any point, except you're running out of time. Uh, before we open God's word together, let's pray. God, we thank you for giving us your word. We thank you for the, the humility of the, the writers of Scripture to admit that things didn't always go smoothly, that not everybody said every right thing at every right time. I thank you, God, that we can learn from uh, the, the conflicts that other people had. And I pray, God, that we would be humble in the midst of inevitable conflict and that you would be instructing us today, not just us as a group. I pray that you would be teaching individuals who are listening to this message from Scripture right now about what they can do to trust the Holy Spirit through a conflict they're encountering. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I do, I definitely run into conflicts uh, in, in my life and in my work. 
I've uh, served on a couple of different boards. One of them was a national board uh, and, and one was a, a regional board where uh, they were overseeing churches. They were uh, resourcing a diverse group of of people even regionally we have diverse churches with some uh, different beliefs from one another and we want to have some flexibility to let churches uh, do as they uh, as they feel led in some areas while we still stay in agreement on important areas like salvation the forgiveness of sins and the security of our future for eternity. Salvation is not something that we earn by the works that we do. It's a gift from God through Jesus Christ, an undeserved gift that we receive through faith. That's the path of salvation. We agree on those things. And then there are a bunch of other things we disagree on. So sometimes there would be a situation where I would tell Michelle about a, a conflict without breaking any confidences or anything like that. Um, I believe me, I don't tell her uh, everything. And uh, sometimes people assume I do, but that's not the case. I'll tell her about something and she'll say, well, did you say this? Well, what did you tell them in that conflict? What did you say? And my response uh, oftentimes will be nothing. It didn't seem like it would do any good. Or, well, nobody asked my opinion. And she'll just get frustrated. You gotta say something, Aaron. But my conflict style is passive. Now I'm not using that as an excuse. That's a confession because we tend to have uh, either uh, uh, a focus that that goes too far into truth, and we get aggressive or defensive with people, and we we focus on being right or. We focus on love so much that we kind of leave the truth behind and we're dishonest in a situation. We all have imperfect approaches to conflict in one way or another. And that is a way that I am imperfect. I'm confessing. I'm admitting it to you. And before any of you get too judgmental about it, I should tell you, our church, you people are overwhelmingly passive in your approach to conflict. We're starting to uh, take the data that we've gathered from the personal ministry profiles and putting it into a profile of the church. And we are a church that tends to be passive, that tends to see conflict and not say anything about it and hope that maybe it will go away. And it ends up leading to some confusion. It ends up leading to basically covering up the truth. It's just lying. So don't be too judgmental of me. We all have some things to learn together about navigating conflict because none of us does it perfectly. So what we're seeing in the church in Antioch uh, in, in the text today is an example of people who are in conflict and who are trusting the Holy Spirit to guide them through it. So let's, if you've got a Bible, uh, open it up to Acts chapter 15. We're going to see how people who were uh, diverse, who were different, found unity 
on the same mission together by trusting the Holy Spirit. It starts like this, Acts chapter 15, start, uh, starting in verse 1. While Paul and Barnabas were at Antioch of Syria, some men from Judea arrived and began to teach the believers, unless you are circumcised as required by the law of Moses, you cannot be saved. So we're talking about a salvation issue here. And when you read the Old Testament of the Bible, it's not super surprising that they would come to this conclusion because the law of Moses was the covenant between God and his people, the Israelites, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the promise over and over in Scripture that that's from God is, you will be my people and I will be your God. So, if the Jewish people now are hearing that other people are saying, this is my God, then it makes sense that they would say, um, well, in order for him to be your God, you have to be his people. And here's the pathway to do that. It involves the law of Moses. It involves the covenant with Abraham that all uh, male Males in your household need to be circumcised. Like, here's the stuff that you have to do. Apparently, nobody told you that, Gentiles. So we're here. We came from Jerusalem. Thank you so much for helping us through that famine that we went through. Now we're here to tell you, you're not saved. You got to do some stuff. Continuing in verse 2, Paul and Barnabas disagreed with them, arguing vehemently. Finally, the church decided to send Paul and Barnabas to Jerusalem, accompanied by some local believers, to talk to the apostles and elders about this question. Enough disagreement. We're just going around in circles. It's time to get an outside uh, opinion, to get some insight from the apostles who actually walked with Jesus and to get some help from elders who have been leading a local congregation and navigating conflicts within the church for longer than we have. Let's get some outside help. If you're navigating a conflict right now, there may be a direct application there that it is good to reach out for outside help when you can't come to some conclusion uh, with someone you're in conflict with. So the church in Antioch reached out for help. The church sent the delegates to Jerusalem, and they stopped along the way in Phoenicia and Samaria to visit the believers. They told them, much to everyone's joy, that the Gentiles too were being converted. So that's great news. Just so you know, guys, they're saying from church to church, God has gone beyond the boundaries of the, the descendants of Abraham and is welcoming other people into a right relationship with him now and for eternity. So they're sharing this good news along the way and people are celebrating. Then verse 4, when they arrived in Jerusalem, Barnabas and Paul were welcomed by the whole church, including the apostles and elders. They reported everything God had done through them. Now, some of us might be tempted to hear that report and to say, well, 
if that's what they're experiencing, then uh, that's all we need to hear. That's great. We don't need to do anything else based on their experience. That's all the evidence that we need. And yet when we think about uh, experience, different people can go through the same event and have a very different experience. It's, experience alone is not enough evidence uh, to change something as big as this. So we see in verse 5, some of the believers who belonged to the sect of the Pharisees stood up and insisted, the Gentile converts must be circumcised and required to follow the law of Moses. So they're saying it's about more than what they experienced. We have tradition here. The law of Moses goes back generations. Do we really think that their experience within the last couple of years gives them more authority than what our parents got passed on from their grandparents who had it passed on from their great-grandparents all the way back to Moses? We're just going to undo all of that? No. And we continue in verse 6. So the apostles and elders met together to resolve this issue. At the meeting, after a long discussion, Peter stood and addressed them as follows. Brothers, you all know that God chose me from among you some time ago to preach to the Gentiles so that they could hear the good news and believe. So Peter throws in his own experience. Remember, guys, I saw God reach the Gentiles in my own experience. And then verse 8, God knows people's hearts, and he confirmed that he accepts Gentiles by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. And Peter continues in verse 9, he made no distinction between us and them, for he cleansed their hearts through faith. Peter starting to uh, put a point on the gospel. The new covenant is not primarily about birthright through Abraham. It's not primarily through behavior, through the law of Moses. It is through belief in Jesus Christ. Verse 10, so why are you now challenging God by burdening the Gentile believers, literally the Gentile disciples, with a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors were able to bear. It's like he's saying to the Pharisees, okay, we've had this experience, and now you're saying we need to weigh uh, tradition in that, and yet tradition has failed us over and over again. We know that our ancestors couldn't even become righteous through following the law. He concludes by saying in verse 11, we believe that we are all saved the same way by the undeserved grace of the Lord Jesus. Now, if we were watching this in a, in a movie, watching this unfold, this might be the point where it goes to a flashback. Uh, so if we were to go back in scripture, 
we see Jesus have this interaction with a younger Peter. So you imagine a Peter who's 15 years old or 15 years younger than he is at the point that he just gave this speech. And he's sitting with Jesus and Jesus is asking, who do you say I am? And Peter says, like, you're the Messiah. You're the Lord. You're the Son of God. He's giving this profession of faith. And this is a new thing. Like Jesus is seeing, okay, they're finally getting it. And Peter has got it. He, Jesus says, this was revealed to you by God. And then explains, I'm going to put together a, a gathering of people, an ecclesia, what we translate now as a church. Remember, it's more than a building. It's more than an event. It's a group of people. I'm assembling a group of people. And it's starting with you, Peter, and your profession of faith. And then Jesus says this mysterious thing in Matthew chapter 16, verse 19. He says, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven, and whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. That's a weird thing to think about. You're going to permit something on earth, and then it's permitted in heaven until we see how it plays out in this situation. Peter's put in a position to make a decision about what is going to be allowed and what's going to be forbidden in the ecclesia, in the church. And the church is God's instrument for welcoming people into the grace of Jesus. It's his instrument for bringing the good news and inviting people into the kingdom of God. So what Peter decides here about what is going to be allowed and what's going to be forbidden is going to make a difference in who gets to be part of that kingdom of God. It's a powerful moment in the history of the church. So Peter weighed in by saying that the way to salvation is, through, is not through following the Jewish law. It's through believing the good news of Jesus and receiving the undeserved grace of God. The Pharisees were claiming that uncircumcised Gentiles were not living under the kingdom authority of the Heavenly Father. And Peter reminds them, look, tradition uh, hasn't worked. It was a yoke. It was uh, some, a burden put on them that they couldn't even carry. And then it seems like this gave a second wind to our guys who came in and shared their experience before Acts chapter 15, verse 12. Everyone listened quietly as Barnabas and Paul told about the miraculous signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. So it seems like this argument is kind of going back and forth. And then as if he's been waiting patiently along the side, verse 13, when they had finished, James stood and said, brothers, listen to me. Now this is James, the brother of Jesus, an apostle who used to criticize his brother, until he encountered Jesus in person after the resurrection. When James talks, people listen. 
verse 14, Peter, this is James talking, Peter has told you about the time God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for himself. And this conversion of Gentiles is exactly what the prophets predicted as it is written. So James is taking this to another level. You've heard about the experience. We've talked about tradition. Now let's view that through the lens of scripture, God's word. So he quotes prophets here as he says in verse 16, Afterward, I will return and restore the fallen house of David. I will rebuild its ruins and restore it so that the rest of humanity might seek the Lord, including the Gentiles. All those I have called to be mine, the Lord has spoken. He who made these things known so long ago. James appeals to the experience Peter had when God led him to bring the good news to the Gentiles and to baptize them. As if to point out, it's not just about Paul and Barnabas experiencing something in Antioch. We're seeing a new pattern here. It's like a new tradition is starting. And then he quotes the prophets Amos and Isaiah, and boom. James sees the experience of Paul and Barnabas and Peter as an affirmation of God's word in Scripture, a fulfillment so in verse 19, and so my judgment, James says, is that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write and tell them to abstain from eating food offered to idols, from sexual immorality, from eating the meat of strangled animals, and from consuming blood. For these laws of Moses have been preached in Jewish synagogues in every city on every Sabbath for many generations. Now, at first read, I look at that and go, we shouldn't make it difficult. Now, here's some stuff they have to do that's in the law of Moses. It seems like a conflict. And yet, when we think about those laws that, that he's talking about there, uh, Gentiles had a problem with uh, conforming to pagan worship. So when James addresses that they should abstain from eating food offered to idols and from sexual immorality, you could take that as him saying, okay, yes, you don't have to conform to the Jewish tradition, but also don't conform to the pagan traditions around you. And then this part about uh, abstain from eating the meat of strangled animals and from consuming blood and how it's important that the Gentiles do that because that's been taught in Jewish synagogues in every city on every Sabbath for many generations. If you imagine someone growing up, growing up in a, a Jewish tradition, uh, for them, eating the meat of strangled animals or consuming blood was absolutely disgusting. Just gross. They could not tolerate it. They couldn't be in the home of someone who was doing those things. 
So what may be happening here, what makes sense to me, is James is considering the unity of the church. He's considering that uh, if this is going to be a, a, a movement that involves both Jews and Gentiles, then they should be able to sit down at a table and eat together. And rather than asking the Jewish people to get rid of their convictions and the things that they've been taught their whole life about strangled animals and eating blood, we're going to ask the Gentiles to refrain from that so that there can be some fellowship between them. Experience is considered, tradition is considered in the midst of this conflict, and reason is used in order to navigate how can we do this in a way that preserves unity and that also preserves the truth that we're not saved by works. We're saved by the grace of God through Jesus Christ. So they put together a letter after praying about this and, and discussing it. And they say, it seems right to the Holy Spirit and to us that we should come to this conclusion. So we see that in the midst of this, yes, they're, they're using uh, experience and tradition and reason and scripture. And they're trusting the Holy Spirit to lead them through this conflict. Acts chapter 15, verse 31, and there was great joy throughout the church that day as they read this encouraging message. The message made it to Antioch and to some other key cities. And they were excited to hear that this is a, a new level of freedom, a charter of freedom for the Gentiles and, and also as a step towards unity in the church. So where do you see yourself in this account? Are you new to faith in Jesus and you're trying to discover what it means to die to your old self and to live for him? Maybe you're kind of on the edge, on the outside looking in and you're concerned that there are too many rules that you have to follow in order to qualify. Well, it, it's not about the rules. It's about you saying that your life is not as important as the life that God has intended for you. And you're willing to die to your old self, to your own uh, desires and appetites in order to uh, bring in the Holy Spirit to be your guide, in order to follow in the footsteps of Jesus as an obedient disciple in order to honor God the Father and say, not my will, but yours be done. And you're weighing that and trying to sort that out. And you need to know that you don't earn salvation through how you act. God has already purchased it on the cross. Maybe you're someone who's been a person of faith for a long time. Maybe you are kind of a religious expert who has expectations of how saved people should live. Maybe you're trying to mediate a conflict between two parties who are both fully convinced that they're right. 
wherever you see yourself in this account, let's go through that rad pattern of reflection, application, and discussion right now. What is God teaching you about living as a disciple today? What are you willing to do about it? And who are you willing to share it with? Now, this might really rub you in, in a, a way that uh, irritates your conflict style. God will do that. Let that happen. Let him give you a, uh, a step to take that you're willing to trust him in that maybe is different from your natural incl inclinations and is uh, you saying, I trust the Holy Spirit in taking this step. Maybe God brought to mind someone who you need to ask uh, forgiveness from or someone who you need to confront about something important. What will you do about it? Be specific set a time, write it down, and then we'll have time to discuss it with other people, for you to say it out loud and to be willing to be accountable to what God is leading you to. It may be what preserves relationships. It may be what keeps the church united moving forward. Conflict is inevitable. And even people on the same mission with the same direction find themselves in conflict. And it's our responsibility to trust the Holy Spirit to lead us through that. So take time now and reflect. And then you'll reconnect in order to discuss, whether you're in the chat or in this room. And I will catch up with you guys next week, which is the Sunday before Backyard Missions. Go in peace.